pray. Dear God, it is with reverent hearts that we open up your word. For we, we believe that scripture is inspired by you. And we believe that it tells a story about your love, about an amazing love. A love that runs free and wild. And Lord, scripture is a story of how you pursue us. And Lord, you have gathered us here this morning that you may continue your pursuit of us. And we pray that you open our hearts to hear what it is you have to say. We pray that we open our hearts so that the presence of the Spirit may dwell within us. And that we may hear what it is you have to say to us today. That we may be reminded and soothed by the good news of grace and love. That we may be challenged by your call to discipleship. And that we may go forth as a people certain of your love and future for us, certain of our call to discipleship, and certain that you will be with us always to the end of the age. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we've been walking through the book of Acts. Each and every Sunday we open this book up and we read about a community that is being challenged. A community that is being led forth by the Holy Spirit. A community that is growing and growing and pushing into and beyond boundaries they could never have imagined. I mean, we think back to Acts chapter 1 and we have this, this small, uncertain community who had heard the promises of God, but didn't really have an idea of how they were going to live into those promises. And here we are, 18, 19 chapters later. And the church has grown and expand, expanded, and with this expansion, all of this turmoil and trouble has come along, but through it all, these people are going boldly out into communities. And proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Some of them have been killed for what they are proclaiming. And yet they keep pushing forward because they are certain of how God is calling them out into the world. That God is calling them from the place they are beyond the boundaries that they had imagined. And so we're here in Acts chapter 19. And Acts chapter 19 is one big story of Paul preaching the gospel in the city of Ephesus. And, and Paul, Acts 19 covers two years and three months. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, but I'm going to read some bits and pieces. And I'm going to do it from the message translation, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, so it's going to be a little different than what's um, probably in your Bible. But again, the idea here is that we're communicating the meaning in the heart of these texts using a little different language. But Paul has shown up in Ephesus and started preaching the gospel. And the community there begins to change. 
And so I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read verses 8 through 20 uh, to begin. So Paul has been there, uh, Paul has baptized the community there. And then so picking up in verse 8, Paul then went straight to the meeting place. He had the run of the place for three months, doing his best to make the things of the kingdom of God real and convincing to them. But, then resistance began to form. As some of them began spreading evil rumors through the congregation about the Christian way of life. So Paul left, taking the disciples with him, and set up shop in the school of Tyrannus, holding class there daily. He did this for two years giving everyone in the province of Asia, Jews as well as Greeks, ample opportunity to hear the message of the Master. God did powerful things through Paul, things quite out of the ordinary. The word got around and people started taking pieces of clothing, handkerchiefs, scarves and the like, that had touched Paul's skin and touching the sick with them. The touch did it. They were healed. And whole. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists who happened to be in town at the time tried their hand at what they assumed to be Paul's game. They pronounced the name of the Master Jesus over victims of evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus preached by Paul. The seven sons of a certain Sceva, a Jewish high priest, we're trying to do this on a man when the evil spirit talked back. I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Then the possessed man went berserk, jumped the exorcists, beat them up and tore off their clothes. Naked and bloody, they got away as best they could. It was soon news all over Ephesus among both Jews and Greeks. The realization that God was in and behind this. Curiosity about Paul developed into a reverence for the Master Jesus. Many of those who thus believed came out of the closet and made a clean break with their secret societies. All kinds of witches and warlocks came out of the woodwork and with their books of spells and incantations made a huge bonfire out of them. Some estimated their worth at $10,000. In such ways it become evident that the word of the Master was now sovereign and prevailed in Ephesus. I was 16 years old when I tore my ACL for the first time. I was playing in, in a soccer, a high school soccer game, and I went to a small Catholic high school, and we didn't have a big stadium. We just played in this field that was kind of surrounded by a forest, and so the parents would just stand on the sideline. And I was standing there and someone came and hit me in the side of my knee and my knee bent in a direction that the good Lord did not design my knee to bend. And I was soon writhing on the ground using words that they did not teach you to use in front of crowds of parents at a small Catholic high school. Uh, it was an intensity of pain that I had never experienced. But then after that, things kind of settled into place. And after a couple of weeks, I started to feel pretty normal. I had surgery scheduled about a month out, but by the time I got to the surgery, I was feeling 
Fine, my leg felt fine. I can even run on it. And then I had the surgery. And that night, I had the fortune of getting a really good night's sleep. The kind of sleep where you sleep longer than the duration of the pain medication. And I remember waking up in the most intense pain I have ever had. It felt like someone had taken a knife and cut open my knee and put screws into the end of the bones, which is interesting because that's exactly what they had done. I just re- I remember all morning I was just writhing in bed in this intense, intense pain and thinking to myself, this is supposed to fix this. Right? I mean, shouldn't my knee have understood that what the doctor did was trying to make it better? When what it felt like was that it had made it worse. And I think, and so we go to physical therapy, right? And the physical therapist put, it, put me in intense, intense pain. And all the while I'm thinking, this is how things heal. This is how things get better, by being in worse pain than I was beforehand. But we've all experienced this in some way, shape, or form. This idea that what is supposed to heal us may actually hurt and be more difficult than what got us into the mess in the first place. I imagine, I know, I imagine at some point you all have been in a very dark room and someone's turned on the light. The intensity of the light is blinding. What do we do? We shield our eyes. We turn our eyes away from the very thing that is helping us, that is helping us see. But the change is so great that we can't even look at it. It's resistance to change. That what happens is so systems get put into place and they harden, right? We get used to a certain way of life. We get used to certain things. And when we try to change them, there is tremendous resistance in, that, that puts up a fight. That makes it very, very difficult to change. And it almost makes it easier if we just never change. It would have been easier if I just stayed with a torn ACL and hadn't tried to fix it. It's easier if we just stay in the darkness and never turn the light on. Even if things are tremendously unhealthy, it's easier for us to stay there than to try and overcome the resistance that it requires to change things. And that's what the church was discovering in the first century. That's what the church is discovering in Ephesus. What happens is so Paul shows up at Ephesus and begins to preach the gospel. And for three months, he's preaching the gospel and lives are changing. People are changing. And as the people are changing, communities begin to change. People put down old habits. They put down bad habits and they begin to live godly lives. And what happens? Resistance forms. Resistance comes as some of them begin spreading evil rumors through the congregation about the Christian way of life. Resistance begins to form, and so Paul, they move to a different part of town. And for two years, 
Paul continues to preach the gospel. Oftentimes, we get this idea when we're reading scripture that change should be instantaneous. That change should just happen. That overnight we should wake up and be new people. But what does Paul do? Paul spends two years preaching the gospel. Two years Paul spends preaching the gospel. And over time the community begins to change. And eventually enough people convert that what happens is that resistance to change grows and grows and grows. And this is where we pick up the story. Uh, starting in verse 23. Before Paul got away, a huge ruckus occurred over what was now being referred to as the way. A certain silversmith, Demetrius, conducted a brisk trade in the manufacture of shrines to the goddess Artemis, employing a number of artisans in his business. He rounded up his workers and others similarly employed and said, Men, you know well that we have a good thing going here. And you've seen how Paul has barged in and discredited what we're doing by telling people there's no such thing as a God made with hands. A lot of people are going along with him, not only here in Ephesus, but all through Asia province. Not only is our little business in danger of falling apart, but the temple of our famous goddess Artemis will certainly end up in a pile of rubble as her glorious reputation fades to nothing. And this is no mere local matter. The whole world worships our Artemis. That set them off in a frenzy. They ran into the street yelling, Great Artemis of the Ephesians. They put the whole city in an uproar, stampeding into the stadium, grabbing two of Paul's associates on the way. What we see here is the whole city of Ephesus turns into this riot because the economic forces are being threatened. People's ways of life are being threatened. And there's this tremendous resistance to change. And what's the temptation here? The temptation is for the church to pull back. Right? It's for Paul to run away. It's for us to go find something that's more comfortable. It's to find something that's easier. It's to stay someplace safe. When we meet resistance, it's always easier to just pull back. But that's not the message of the church. The message of the church is that we're to follow the word out into the world. And when we meet resistance, we're to trust in the God who can help us overcome that resistance and continue to shine God's light into the world. And think about a light bulb. Think about how a light bulb works. Right? In a light bulb, there's a piece of filament. And the way that it works is as the current passes through it, there is resistance enough to where the filament glows and gives off light to the world. And the church is called to be the same way. That we take the Word and the Word calls us out and we go out into the world and we engage with the community around us. And it is a part of life that we will meet resistance. It's a part of life that there will be opposition to that message. But as the church engages with that resistance, as the church engages with opposition, as we love even our enemies, the Word works through us and God's light, His love works 
shines through us into the world. It's in the way that the church engages with the community around us that Christ's light shines through us. Because what we're doing when we go out into the community, when we engage with forces that resist, is we're telling the story of God. For God didn't just stay confined up in heaven where it was safe and it was comfortable. God chose to come into the world. And when Jesus Christ met resistance, when the Pharisees sought His life, He didn't flee for His safety. But He engaged. And He gave up His life. And on the cross, where the world's resistance was the greatest we see God's moment of triumph over sin for us. We see God's ultimate expression of love. We see the light of the world shining for all to see. And we see in that the way that God makes it possible for life, eternal life, to come into the world. And so we follow the word into the world. And when we meet resistance, when things get really tough, we press on. We carry forward. And we shine that light of love so that all may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the fact that when we resisted You in sin that You continued to pour out Your love upon us and bring us into eternal life. And we pray, Lord God, that you give us the courage to go out into the world and to proclaim the gospel and to not be afraid, but to do so boldly, trusting in you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.